Yeah, I guess. By well, the that- way, spoiler alert, we're talking about <laughs> books, and if you want to read them, we're going to ruin a whole bunch of shit. Testing, testing. Hello. Welcome to Booked on a Feeling. Hello. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your smile. Lionel Richie. Yeah. Channeling it. Channeling. Go, girl. Mm -hmm. Well, we're back for our second episode. And this one is all about HB... Oh. oh, we're going to be covering books that were made popular by HBO adaptations. And I guess I can't really say made popular because they were popular before, but yeah. they were repopularized, mm-hmm. especially in my book's case, by HBO. So we're going to dive into it. Well, actually, so we had a fun little thing that we wanted to do with you guys and gals and folks with an X with an X. <laughs> We uh, decided that y'all don't know us that well. And we don't know each other. We don't, yeah, we don't really know each other. I mean, we have Wesley as obviously a common denominator. Him and I work, have been working together for a couple years now. Mm-hmm. And Kobe's obviously the third wheel in that relationship. Yeah, I'm just I'm just the third wheel at this point. So. She, she's, she's just around. That's okay. She's just some arm candy for Wesley. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so, go ahead. No, I was gonna say we were gonna do some icebreaker questions at the beginning of every episode to kind of get to know each other and to let you uh, get to know us. If you're yes. listening, are yes, you listening? Yes. Are you there? Hello. Show yourself. Show of hands. Who's listening? <laughs> Show. Raise your hand if you're listening. <laughs> No one raises their hands. No one raises hands. There are crickets. Cool. <laughs> so today, my question for you, Corey, is uh, can you tell me about your animals? I know that you posted a picture of your puppy. My beautiful baby boy, Cosmo. Baby boy. Baby boy. Yes, I have two dogs. I am a dog person, not a cat person. Sorry. Cosmo, the youngest of the two. Not he- from Cosmo and Wanda. Yeah. Via the... Fairly odd parents. Let us make that very clear right now. It is not from Cosmo and Wanda. (laughs) He is the same breed as Cosmo, the space dog from Marvel Comics. He is energetic, and I swear sometimes he has a little bit of telepathy. He can read my mind. Probs. So, yeah. So, he's, he's very much like the Marvel Comics Cosmo, the space dog. So, his name is Cosmo, and he is adorbs, but also super hyper. And then I have an older dog. Her name is Bailey, Bailey Ray. Bailey Ray. She's a Southern Belle. And she has been by my side since I was in college. And both of them are adopted. Actually, fun fact with Bailey, she, when I adopted her at the animal shelter, they have an adoption day every month where all of the dogs that are available for adoption, they do a raffle for them, especially for the popular ones. And... Bailey, I walked into, I got there and there was a line out the door and I walked into the reception 
office area and it was full of people. And I went up to the receptionist and I said, Hey, I'm here to look into adopting Bailey because she's available today. And half the people started laughing because they're all there for her as well. And so they did a raffle and my name got drawn. Was her name Bailey at the shelter? No. They had named her Nino. That's a terrible last name. That is a terrible name, right? Oh my God. So I obviously <laughs> renamed her Bailey. It's okay. She was young enough. She doesn't remember. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Actually, I was so shocked that they drew my name that I left the shelter without actually going to see her. <laughs> like I didn't even go and see her. I just I was just like, oh my God, they drew her name. Okay, they're gonna send her to the vet to get spade uh, to get neutered uh spade spade is it mm-hmm. i think spade it's spade for, dogs? for females oh for females okay and I, j- I didn't even go and see her as i was walking to my car this guy walked up to me and was like hey i will pay you money for her like i will buy her from you and i just said no no, no. she's mine she's mine <laughs> actually more more correctly i am hers true story yes she owns me. That's so cute. <laughs> anyway, uh, I actually have a similar question for you, Kobe. It's almost okay. as if we we planned this. <laughs> <laughs> so in our last episode, we got to hear your cats, very spirited. Throwing evil, themselves at the door. Evil spirited cats. I'm yep. just kidding. I love them. What are their <laughs> names? And tell me a little bit about them. Well, I have three cats. I am a uh, quintessential cat lady. Props. Padme was my first kitty cat, first pet I ever owned by myself. I picked her up at an ASPCA in uh, Colorado, and she is five, and her birthday's on Cinco de Miao. 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 And she is named after uh, Padme Amidala from Star Wars. Amidala? It's in the movie. Is it pronounced that way, though? Yes, in the movie. It, I swear to God, subscribe to Disney Plus. You get a free thirty days or whatever. Watch all the Star Wars prequels, and you'll see. And tell Corey he's wrong. God damn it! Exactly. Tweet it. Tweet at him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I named her after my favorite Star Wars character, played by the beautiful Natalie Portman. Effervescent. E- effervescent, if you will. <laughs> and then um, I kind of acquired Howie, um, my second cat. He is going to be four in April. And uh, like I said, I kind of acquired him. I was intending on uh, finding him a good home. And three or four years later, here we are. <laughs> Still in my house. He is such a pretty kitty, He's though. very pretty. He's very skittish. He actually, he let me pet him for the first time today. He never lets anybody pet him, like not even me. And then I just recently acquired uh, Link, who is my fiance's cat. Uh, Link, I believe, is three. He just turned three. And um, little Linky is an orange key cat. He is very loud and likes to bite you on the nose and lick you on the face. I mean, he's upset that you won't let him go find Zelda. Exactly. Fun fact about my cats, Padme and Howie are actually tattooed on me. I have a Star Wars themed tattoo of my cats. Most, is, pe- most people would think that it's weird, but it's actually really beautiful. It's it a piece is of art. one of my single like favorite tattoos I've ever seen in my life. Yes. I love it. It is Padme depicted in her headdress on Tatooine when she and uh, Anakin are frolicking through the fields. Ew. And then don't say frolicking. 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 Howie, because his middle name is Anakin, because I tried to rename him Anakin and call him Annie, but it just didn't work out. He uh, is dressed in the uh, scar on the eye and the hood 
as if he had just uh, crossed over to the dark side. And oh. it's a beautiful tattoo, and I'm very proud of it. Yeah, that's great. Cool. It definitely puts all of my tattoos to shame. That's for damn sure. Yas. Yas. Cool. So, uh... Let's what are get we, into it. Yeah, let's get into it. What are what are you getting into today? So I'm going to go first. Now that we've gotten our icebreakers out of the way, the ice has been broken just a little bit. I'm going to be talking about The Golden Compass, which had a movie adaptation in 2007 and is now a TV show on HBO called His Dark Materials, which is the name of the trilogy. So this movie was... Movie. This book... Goodness, the book came out in 95 and it was actually titled The Northern Lights. And as true Americans do, they bastardized it. Of course. And they made a mistake in publication and renamed it The Golden Compass and they did not change it back. So it's almost like the whole Harry Potter and the Philosophers or Sorcerer's Stone situation, except this was actually not intentional, or at least it was not purported to be intentional. Intentional. Interesting. Yes, interesting. Obviously, my main focus is the book, but I do want to talk about the quote unquote great family adventure that is the movie that came out in 2007. And I loved how the couple articles that I did find referred to it as almost a neutered version of the book. Like all the important bits were cut out. <laughs> uh, and so this is this is the movie with the with the polar bear with the gold helmet on, the little the little girl in the fur coat, and then that Australian lady married to Keith Urban, right? Oh my god. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Effervescent as always. Yes, yes, Nicole Kidman. We're just gonna use that to describe every woman. Nicole, you're great. Nicole, you are great. Actually, I did really like her in that in that movie. I like her in every movie. She was probably the only good part of that movie. And the polar bear. The CGI polar bear was pretty dope. Yes. I didn't watch it, but I did see the trailer. (laughs) Seriously, I don't even know if they understood the book because they call it a great family adventure. It is most certainly not. (laughs) It is a fucked up idea of family. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Awesome. So the book actually has some very dark themes, but it's all told from the child's perspective. Okay. Which really kind of brings a different light to it almost you see what's happening you see all of the horrible shit that happens in this book which we're going to talk about believe me we're going to talk about but at the same time it's it's as if a 12 year old girl is seeing it so it's almost like she doesn't fully understand what's going on Mm -hmm. and that 12 year old girl is lyra lyra blackwa and she's that's the main character. That's a name. That is a name. Balakwa. We're going to talk about names too. Cool. Because that's actually a very important theme in the in the book. Um, she's a young orphan girl, and she kind of gets embroiled in the like this political war between church and state because this book actually got a lot of backlash from the Catholic Church because they considered it heretical and that it they considered it that it pushed like atheist views on people. In the book, obviously, they talk about it being the church, but it's called the magisterium. They don't say Catholic. They don't say... And in the movie, they completely cut all of that out. Like, there's no reference to the church at all. The magisterium is just almost like a government body. Well, because that movie was really just advertised for children. It was. Wasn't it like PG or something? The book itself is for 14 and up. Okay. So you shouldn't be younger than 14 to really understand the themes in this book. Okay. Not that you can't. I mean, just saying that that's kind of like the age where 
maybe you'll start to understand kind of what you're reading. Okay. Lyra is a, an orphan girl and she's being raised at the Oxford College, which is protected by scholastic sanctuary from the magisterium. So in other words, all of the documents, all of the works, literary and otherwise, that they they read and they study, as long as they aren't too heretical, like they are toting a fine line there, they're protected and the church is not going to raid them and, and take all of their, their books away. So unless they unless try they, to do something that's outside of the, the quote unquote rules. Exactly. Magisterium, magisterium. Magisterium. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. They they really just don't they don't play. The magisterium does not play. And the book does not hold back with that because the magisterium is literally in charge of abducting children and experimenting on them. Oh my god. Like really fucked up shit. And in this particular universe, because this actually this trilogy deals with the multiverse theory, so there's mm-hmm. multiple worlds, but the first book while it touches on the other worlds, it doesn't actually explore them. So it just spends all of its time in this universe. In this universe, there is a demon or I had kind of a hard time like pronouncing it because it has the schwa. So it's like the D, the A-M-O-N. So it's like almost like a- Like Damon or something. Or like Dumbin or something. It's like a soft, (laughs) the soft U sound. So like- (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. I'm choking. <laughs> Don't die. So it's, it has the soft U sound. So it's like dumbin or demon. I don't, I'm going to say demon because that's kind of how they pronounce it in the movie and in the show. I would think Damon or Demon. <coughs> sorry. God, you're stealing my thunder. I'm sorry. I actually, yeah, take a drink, please. I actually get the ball rolling here and it's just, you have to interrupt me. Okay, go. I'm sorry. You just can't see me in a, in a position of... <laughs> God damn it. Okay, I'm sorry. Future Corey, cut that out. It'll probably be the sound bite. <laughs> Me coughing will be the sound bite. <laughs> so, like I said, I had a hard time pronouncing it. Apparently, it's demon, okay. and that is a person's soul in an animal form that accompanies them and never leaves their side. Like, it cannot be separated from them. It has to be with them, and that plays an integral part of this story. Okay. So... As a child, before they hit puberty, kids, demons can shapeshift into whatever shape or form they want to be in and uh, as animal wise. And as soon as they hit puberty, their demon settles on a final shape and stays that way. And it's supposed to be a manifestation of like their counterpart, like like of their personality, almost. Yes, almost of their personality, like a Patronus. Exactly. Like a Patronus. Okay. I get that reference now. What you, yeah, okay. So, so, uh, (laughs) Lyra, like I said, is an orphan at Jordan and she's left there by her uncle Asriel. And you actually find out later that he's her father. (gasps) Dun dun dun. He's not her uncle. Spoiler alert. I very much will ruin a whole bunch of shit with this book. I'm so sorry. It's just in my notes. It's okay. There's so much to, to talk about. And I have to go through it all. I have to really tell you kind of a lot of the different themes in this book because otherwise you won't understand it. But yes, spoiler alert. And as far as I know, I think as of recording this, there's only a couple episodes left of his Dark Materials before the end of the season. Are they going to do multiple seasons? Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as it's as long as they renew it, which I don't see why they wouldn't. It's hailed as a great show so far. Okay. I'm enjoying it. I haven't watched it. Not quite as good as Watchmen. I will say that Watchmen has been an 
amazing show from the start. So Lyra's left at Jordan College by her uncle, who is actually her father, and he is a total dick. Cool. Yes. If you leave your daughter at an orphanage, you're probably a total total dick. We're, well, I'll t- I'll explain why he does. But he she tries to save him from being poisoned when he comes to visit her, and he literally slams her against a table and twists her arm. Because she's in this study that she's not supposed to be in. It's like for scholars only. And anyway, you understand his motivations and his character as the book goes. And in the show, it he's portrayed by James McAvoy, which... Really? I love him. Yes. I love James McAvoy. And in the movie, he's per- portrayed by Daniel Craig. Ooh. And they both make him gentler and more charismatic, which I actually do not like mm. because of what happens later on. Like this guy is not okay. As Lyra is staying at Oxford College, her friends start to disappear because they're, again, like I said, the magisterium is abducting children. And of course, ironically, as soon as they start disappearing, a mysterious woman shows up named Mrs. Coulter. And she is, she's described as being like an intoxicating person. Like just... Like super charismatic. Super charismatic. Everybody loves her. They're smitten with her. And as soon as Lyra meets her, she just becomes totally absorbed into this lady's personality. Like she just loves this this lady, Mrs. Coulter. Hmm. Right? And that's who Nicole Kidman plays in the movie, by the way. That makes sense. Nicole Kidman is very enthralling. She is. Absolutely. But I seriously, I mean like stranger danger bitch. Like <laughs> like like why you don't even know this woman, Lyra? Why are you following her around like a puppy dog? She promises Lyra that they're going to find her friends and they never refer to Mrs. Coulter as like by anything but Mrs. Coulter until the last two pages of the book. So you don't know like her first name until the last two pages of the book. That's creepy. In the show and the movie, they say her first name earlier on, but in the actual book, and I looked it up just to make sure I didn't possibly miss it, but yeah, they don't say her first name until the last two pages. That's creepy. Yeah. Names in the Golden Compass are definitely a theme. Okay. Because you have Lyra Blackwa, and then you have some characters who are only referred to by their last, like Mrs. Coulter, and then you have some who are only referred to by their first name, and then you have some people who are only referred to as their full names. Like they don't say first, last, they say the full name every time they address them in conversation, when the author is writing about them. And uh, that sounds exasperating. So an example would be the bear. Obviously, as you know, there's there's sentient bears. I did not know that they were sentient bears. I thought that that it was just a bear. No, they are all bears sent? I have so many questions. In the book, they are. All bears are sentient? Well, the polar bears are. Just the polar bears? Apparently. And they're the only animals that are. There aren't any, like none of the other animals, unless they're a demon, they're not, they're not sentient, like sentient. But like not the black bears or the brown bears or the panda bears or any of the other. I don't know. I don't know. Corey, answer my question. They only talk about the polar bears. I need answers and I need answers now. (laughs) Okay. Well, so the polar bears, for instance, there's one and I'm going to talk about him later. His name is Yorick Bernison and they only talk, they only refer to him as Yorick Bernison. And that's the bear that you saw in the poster. I want that to be the name of my next pet. That is the coolest name I've ever heard in my entire life. Hold Pause. Yorick Bernison. Pause. Lyra's demon. Ha. But um. Pause. 
has a bear's eye claws. <laughs> 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 I think it just broke Corey. <laughs> Lyra's demon is named Pantalaemon. <gasps> Can we take a second and admire that fucking name? Pantalaemon? Pantalaemon. That sounds like he has really like dumb pants on. No, Google Google Ermine. How do you spell that? Ermine frosting. <gasps> That's the shape he takes. Ah, he's like a little ferret. It's like a wild yes. ferret. Yes. He's a weasel. If you watch the show, that's ah, the shape he's that he's so in. But yeah, that's cute. the shape that he takes. I want one. Ermine, yeah. Let me screenshot this really quick so I can tell Wes that I want one. Okay. You'll have to get in line. I've already he's told Carlos so that I want one. Oh, he's so cute. He's so little. But Pantalaemon is such a cool name, and I, I might actually name my son that one day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> not going to happen. I was going to say, please don't. But if you do, can I name my firstborn Yorick Berenston? Bernison. Bernison. Yes. Berenston. I was thinking Berenstein, Berenstein Bears. Bears. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wes, do you hear that? Our firstborn will be named Yorick Berenson. Oh my god. Okay. Bear. Oh my god, I get it. Bernison. B-Y-R. No, you don't get it. I'm sorry, honey. I don't get it. I'm sorry. So, um, by the way, Mrs. Coulter's first name is Marissa, by the way. I didn't actually say that. Why did they hide that, though? That's such a normal-ish name. It's so vanilla. That's what I put in my nose. I thought it was going to be something like... Her name is Marissa, and that's so... Like, I'm sorry to anyone (laughs) named Marissa out there, but that's such a vanilla name compared to all the other names. Compared to, like, Lyra and... Yorick, Asriel, Pantalaemon. Asriel's the name of an angel in the Bible. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, he ain't no angel. He ain't no angel. He a demon. He a demon. So... Anyway, I'm going to call her Marissa from now on because the book didn't do it. And I'm going to call her by her fucking first name. So turns out she's not good. Uh Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. She's actually a bitch. She's She's actually evil. Doing evil shit. Yeah. Carlos and I were watching the show. And within the first like two minutes of her being introduced, there was no ex, you know, no explanation of anything about her. And he was just like, oh, she's not good. Like he could immediately (laughs) tell. Which I don't know if that's good or bad acting on the actress's part. Just saying. Or maybe Carlos is just real intuitive. He is very intuitive. But we're not talking about him right now. Carlos, go away. So, Marissa is the head of the General Oblation Board, which is an offshoot of the Magisterium. And they nickname them Gobblers because General Oblation Board is G-O-B, like the initials. So, they call them Gobblers. And they're the ones who take the kids. But they're just like an urban, like they're just like a, a myth, you know, like a bedtime story. Like nobody actually believes that the gobblers exist. Except but they should kids. be a company and their slogan should be like gobbling up them kids or something. That's that's <laughs> actually what they say. They call them gobblers because they gobble up kids. Oh, my God. But it comes from GOB, General Oblation Board. I'm a marketing genius. They're also called child cutters, and they're also referred to as dust collectors. Child cutters? And dust collectors. And you don't know why, but I'm about to tell you. Okay. So at this point, you're probably wondering where the fuck the golden compass comes into it. So there's an actual compass. It's not a compass. Then, okay. It's actually never called a compass. It's an alethiometer. Is the term for it. What 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 the fuck is an alethiometer? An alethiometer, besides being a dope-ass name, is a complex symbol reader that tells the bearer the truth about, like, life and what's going on. 
The bearer. The bearer. Bear. Stop making bear references. <laughs> God damn it. Wait, is an alethiometer like a real thing? I don't think it's an actual thing in real life. You're ruining my flow Ale- by Googling. Ale- L- alethiometer. Nope. It's not real. You can get a alethiometer wall clock. Okay. You anyway, need to stop. I'm sorry. You need to stop. Okay. I'm a serial Googler. I'm, <laughs> I sincerely apologize. Um, I Google literally everything. I, I'm a curious cat. I'm going to throw curious cat. Exactly. I'm going to throw your computer out the window. Probably. So <laughs> the alethiometer does tell the person who's holding it the, and asking the questions, the truth about, you know, what's going on in life and, and you know. What's the meaning of life? And it's really complex. Every symbol, there's like 27 symbols or something like that. And each one has an infinite number of meanings. Wow. So like the beehive can mean like literally anything. And you have to know kind of how to read it and how to understand what it's referring to when it points to it. Okay. Anyway. Do you get like a binder? So so there are textbooks that they have that can help you discern what the alethiometer is trying to tell you. However, this obstinate young little girl, Lyra, for some reason is able to read it without any help, without any text or anything. She can she just understands it. So she's like a genius. She's not a genius. It for some reason it's almost like she can just kind of see into it like it's like a pool and she can see what what the symbols are trying to tell her. Oh, okay. And that's why she's so integral to the story. Okay. Okay. She it's I did also make a note here that it's kind of scary that a 12-year-old is like like that sort of power. Yeah. She's 12? Oh <laughs> she's my god. She's 12. And that that plays another part is that she is so young and she has this she's so stubborn in the book and tenacious and she has like this and she's never had a proper role model cuz she's been an orphan and she has a lot of power with this alethiometer that was given to her by the master of the college before she went off with Marissa to find the children that they took. So that the gobblers took that the gobblers took. Well, of course, Marissa wants the fucking alethiometer because it's a dope ass golden compass and she's evil, as I said. And so Lyra finds that out, finds out that Marissa's in charge of like taking the kids and she runs away. She's the head gobbler. Yes. She's (gasps) the leader of the general oblation board. She's, she's the one taking the kids. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Basically, so Lyra, she figures out that Asriel, her uncle, she's about to find out that he's her father, but she finds out that he's being held captive in the north. So she's like, okay, I'm going to escape Marissa. I'm going to go find him. Well, before that, she ends up getting almost captured and then rescued by Egyptians, not Egyptians, but Egyptians. And they're like a transient sort of bohemian, almost, I don't want to say gypsy because that is kind of- nomads? They're nomadic. Yes. Okay. They're very nomadic. And they've had a lot of kids taken. They've actually had the most kids taken because they are, they do move from place to place so often. So their kids disappear. It's, I guess, less of a national crisis. So they're obviously invested because they have a bunch of kids who have disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so because they're so invested, they're like, well, let's take Lyra with us. We're going to go figure out what we're going to do as far as like getting our kids back. And this is the time that Lyra found out that Asriel is 
her abusive father. She finds out what happened. So Asriel apparently had relations with a married woman. Okay. Made a cuckold of her husband. She meant cuckold. (laughs) (laughs) Her husband found out that... He was a cuck? That he was a cuck. His wife had given birth to a daughter, a young girl, a bastard. He He didn't notice? He was out on business, I think. Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay. And him and Asriel fought, and Asriel killed this guy. Oh, goodness. And you want to guess who the mother is? Marissa? Marissa fucking Coulter. Ah! Apparently, she's so goddamn enchanting that Asriel couldn't keep his dick in his pants. So, But does she know that that's her daughter? Yes. And she still tries to gobble her anyway? Well, she doesn't try to gobble Lyra. Oh. She's just taking Lyra with, with her as she's doing all this other stuff on the side. Wow. Yes. And the, is... main, the main thing like, is that she knows that Lyra has the alethiometer and she's trying to get it too. Wow. She's diabolical. Really? She, she really is. So when all this fuckery was happening and both Asriel and Marissa were competing for world's worst parents. Lyra was being cared for by Egyptian wet nurse, and her name was Ma. Ma? Ma. Like M-A or yes. M-A-W? M-A. M-A. Ma. Just Ma? Yeah, and actually in the show, one of the other Egyptians refers to her as Maggie, and I was just thinking, like, they don't ever call her Maggie in the book. It's always just been Ma. Like, her name was Ma Costa. That's what I was saying. Like, names are really important. Like, her name was Ma. She was the primary caregiver for Lyra when she was a young, young baby before she was left at the college. Okay. Yeah. And so... Lyra goes north with the Egyptian because they're trying to find the kids. According to Asriel and his discoveries, because he was an explorer, the Arctic, which is where they were heading, is where dust can be found. And do you remember that I said that the kids were getting experimented on? Yes. And that the gobblers were called dust collectors? Yes. That's because... Dust is something I'm actually going to talk about now. It's something, it's kind of, it's almost shrouded in mystery through most of the book, but I'll do my best to explain it. It's like an elementary particle, like electrons or photons. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And it seems to get drawn into people from like the upper atmosphere. Like it comes like down into you. It is the strongest or or easiest to capture on film, like with a uh, special like camera filter, which, you know, Instagram, get to work, uh, (laughs) under under the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. That's why it was called the Northern Lights. Nah, all the things are making sense. Yes, so basically all this shit is just kind of converging on like the Arctic and the North and stuff because of dust. It gets drawn into adults through their demons and kids, for some reason, don't attract dust until they hit puberty and their demons settle in one form. That's when kids start to attract dust. Okay. Other than that, they don't really know much about it. They think that the aurora is kind of like a thin spot or like a curtain or a veil through which you can see other worlds. Okay. Like multiverse theory, like I said. And uh, so... Dust is invisible unless you use that special filter or like emulsion because they had like old time cameras, you know, the ones with like the pop, like the. What time period is this in? Uh, is it like a like a this is modern. This is it's steampunk, but this is like modern, almost modern times, but steampunkish. Okay, okay, okay. And 
Because um, I'm like, they got a Polaroid or something? No, no, no. They have the special, you know, the special cameras with like the like lights the, the that go. Like the thingy that go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So if you have a special emulsion or filter on it or whatever, that's how you capture dust in a picture. Got it. And Asriel, at the beginning of the book, is called out for heresy by the Magisterium because he captures dust on film and he captures a glimpse of a city in the sky and it's like in the aurora borealis he's basically looking through into another world that's kick-ass yeah so that's why he gets captured by marissa and he's being held hostage up in the north somewhere so like i said kids don't really attract dust so it's assumed that it's the demons that attract dust they take these kids and remember how i said demons stay with their human companions yes they, they physically separate them. They have like a guillotine type apparatus with like a special metal that comes down in between a, a child. There's like some 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 procedure that they do that involves like- Does a, it hurt the kid? No. Well, yes. Like not physically, but they've, they've essentially been separated from their soul. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. The harvesting, the gobblers are harvesting souls? Kind of. Jesus. They're doing it because they think that dust is like something that has to do with original sin. Okay. Because obviously they're the church. So they're Mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, kids are innocent. Once they hit puberty, they start having perverse thoughts. They start thinking, they start doing, you know, they start sinning. So dust, that's when dust is attracted to them. So if we separate their demons from them, the kids will never attract dust. They'll never sin. So that's, I think that's kind of what they're, they're doing. And it's actually killing kids. Physically, they're fine when it happens, but then they die after time has passed from the separation. You don't have a soul. So no shit. In the book, Lyra and... Egyptians, they go to Trollisund, which is like this city in the north. Mm-hmm. And there they enlist the help of Yorick Bernison. Yeah. The talking bear. The talking bear. And they also enlist the help of an aeronaut by the name of Lee Scoresby. He, an aeronaut, I guess, is just a, a pilot. Okay. He flies a balloon. And he comes from the greatest country. Wait for it. Texas, baby. Texas is a country in yeah, this book? Yeah, it's a country in this book. So he comes hey. from country. Yeah, he comes from Texas. And uh, like I said, as far as I know, the polar bears are the only sentient animals. I wonder, I'm curious as to what sets them apart. Yeah, I know. It, it never they, really, they never explain it? Not in the first book. Maybe they explain it in all the other ones. Yeah, I don't know. But I intentionally just read the first book. Yeah. So the home like the arctic like that north area it's home to the bears and it's also home to witches there are witches okay okay i didn't there's a lot going on there is a lot going on in this i need a map (laughs) (gasps) i just had a revelation what maybe the bear the polar bears are sentient because they're all next to the aurora borealis and they're all getting dust well see affected by it possibly because the witches are magic and they can fly magic like maybe i mean that's that's true i'm really not 
I'm really not going to talk about the witches that much, only because they obviously they do play a big part in the book. But at the end of the day, like it is kind of a subplot. It's not really a big deal. They help out the Egyptians and Lyra. They fight the bad guys and then they have clans. So not all of them are on the same side. So then the witches fight each other. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, and they are going Lyra after they get the help of Yorick Bernison and Lee Scoresby and they're traveling north. Lyra reads the alethiometer and it tells her that she needs to go to like this like town over a hill, like over one of the ridges because there's a ghost living there. So she hitches a ride on Yorick. So her, her Uber, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that one was good. Yeah. I'm rubbing off on you. I wrote that down. That's no, good. I wrote you. It oh, you yeah. wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> no, that's good. That's a really good pun. Yeah, and, um, and, uh, in the book, it is a strange child that she doesn't know, but she finds one of the the kids who's been severed. How can you be a ghost without a soul? Well, so they they that's the illusion is that they're alluding to the fact that he is a ghost. He's he's still alive. He's still a boy. Oh, so he's still alive, but he's a quote unquote ghost because he doesn't have a soul. Yes, that's Got the it. alethiometer said ghost told her a ghost. Got it. So she didn't know what to expect, but she's a 12-year-old girl. She rides on a polar bear over there, finds this half-boy, as they call him. Okay. Which is just heart-wrenching. A little bit. And in the show and movie, it's one of her friends. Okay. In the book, it is a completely strange child that she has no connection with, which almost to me is a little bit more powerful because when they bring him back to their camp, he dies. But the whole time he's asking for his demon and he wants to know where his demon is. And he's clinging because it's a fishing village that he was he was holed up in. And he, I guess, got a dried fish off of one of their fishing racks. And he was literally clinging to it, like to his chest because he couldn't find his demon. And he was like, just like, was his demon a fish? No, his demon, uh, his demon's name was Ratter, but he was a like ratter, like a rat. I don't know. But his demon... There's no telling what form his demon took uh, because it got severed from him. Oh, okay. And that's sad. Yeah, and Lyra has like a breakdown because this child dies, and the Egyptians don't seem to care as much as she wants them to, almost. Oh. And so after that, Lyra gets kidnapped by these mercenaries, and they take her to where they're keeping the abducted children. Great. Great, right? So while she's there, she does some spying and she gets captured. She gets found out and she gets put in the room where they do the untethering, where they separate. So her and Pantalaemon are about to be separated. Pantalaemon, no! And then Marissa Coulter enters (gasps) and she's like, mother, and she saves her. She brings her out. And then in like a turn of events, Marissa Coulter is kind of like having like a an emotional moment with Lyra mm-hmm. and then Lyra escapes from her sets the place on fire turns on the fire alarm gets all the children out of the, the I'm going kind of fast here cuz the whole wait yeah so Lyra's a, at this point she's being a badass kind of she gets all of the kids out and they all start trekking across the snow and then they get saved by the Egyptians and at the last minute Marissa comes with like a a contingent of of mercenaries and they're trying to get Lyra back and Lyra hops on the hot air balloon with the aeronaut 
Yorick Bernison, and her close, close friend, Roger, who is one of the ones who was abducted. And they take off to go find her uncle, who for some fucking reason she still cares for. Because that's how abuse works. Yep. Sadly. And so they go off. Uh, When they do, they get attacked by these things called cliff ghasts, which are, I honestly, I thought of dementors. Like they kind of made me think of dementors. And Lyra, they, they crash the hot air balloon and Lyra gets captured by polar bears. And this is, yeah. By and, sentient polar bears? Yes. Okay. Yes, polar bears are sentient. Yeah. Okay. I'm and trying to keep up. This I is know. Very, this I is know. I'm so sorry. intricate book. No, no. Don't I was, apologize. I was really trying my best. This to is a very intricate book. Unpack Like, it. I really feel like you have to actually read it in order to fully understand it. <sighs> yeah. Well, so the bears have a kingdom called Svalbard in the north, and they're the ones that are holding Asriel okay. captive. Now, York Bernison was the prince but he got tricked into killing one of their own kind and was banished. And when he was banished, this other bear took over and he's a complete ass of a bear. But there's one thing that he, I mean, he's an asshole. I, I really don't know how else to <laughs> how, describe him. How can a bear be an asshole? But okay. Just like anything else can be an <laughs> I asshole, I know. guess. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and there's one thing though about this bear is that he, bears cannot have demons of their own. Because they're not human. And this bear, who's the king of the of the other bears, he wants to have a demon of his own. So Lyra, being a smart ass bitch, tells him, Oh, I'm Yorick's demon, and if you want me to be your demon, you have to kill Yorick in single combat. So the king of the bears and Yorick face off, battle each other. Yorick tears the other bear's jaw off, kills him. This is a children's book. Yeah. (laughs) cool (laughs) and after that all the bears decide to follow Yorick because it was one-on-one combat and it was you know trial by combat Mm -hmm. they find out where Asriel's being kept and they go and it's like this hut or this cottage a little bit further north and he's been provided every amenity he's still doing his research about dust this whole time and Lyra gets there with her friend Roger Asriel kind of freaks out a little bit and then later like they're talking about it and Asriel starts quoting Bible passages to Lyra which I looked up and unfortunately are doctored they were about dust and like demons and stuff like that and they aren't actually in the Bible I thought maybe that'd be really tight if they were but they aren't he even makes a comparison to like the child cutters like the fact that they're separating children from their demons to protect the children from sin is almost like the church allows it because it's almost like castration yeah and they would allow castration in older times because it provided a higher voice for the men Mm -hmm. for like singing purposes yep and so he even makes that equation and in the middle of the night this is like the end of the book now the movie has cut off at this point the movie does has not gone this far. The movie ends with with them going out to seek Asriel. Okay. Okay. In the middle of the night, Lyra wakes up and Roger's been taken. <gasps> Asriel's Again? gone. Asriel's gone. She goes after them. When she gets to them, Asriel's talking about how the gobblers never understood the, the purpose of child cutting and like of dust because apparently when you cut a child away from their demon there's like a huge expulsion of energy 
that happens that he needs to cross the bridge into another universe. So this crazy motherfucker, he better not be doing what I think he's about to do. He kills Lyra's friend, Roger, (gasps) and she sees him do it. And then she better not be still. And then Marissa shows up. Oh, my God. This stupid bitch. And Asriel and Marissa share a kiss, and apparently they still love slash hate each other. Asriel's, like, Marissa's telling him to stay, and Asriel's like, no, you come with me. We can achieve so much more on another world. And the whole fucking time, Lyra is to the side, just watching the whole encounter. And then Marissa leaves, and Asriel goes into another universe. And Lyra is literally left there with Pantalaemon by herself. Oh my god, this poor little girl. She's 12. She's just left there mourning the death of her best friend. And her father couldn't give two shits. And neither could her mother. They both go their separate ways. So at the end, she decides that if dust is something that the church or magisterium is so afraid of, then it actually, it can't possibly be bad. So she decides to follow her father over the bridge into another universe. And that's how the book ends. Okay. So there's no telling how the book two picks up. Uh, like I said, I just read this. Yeah, it's there's so much. I'm so sorry if that was confusing. There was a bunch of information. I'm gonna go read it now because like this is a this was a wild ride. Well, and like I said, it's all told from a 12 year old's perspective. So some of the stuff that's like happening. The greatest thing about the storytelling here is that it is an actualized world. If Lyra knows something, because it's, you know, whatever it is, what it is in the world, mm-hmm. like the fact that they have talking bears, like they don't talk, they they don't explain it to the reader. The reader, yeah, because it's just like a regular thing. For exactly. Her. So you kind of find things out as she finds them out, but you're also perceiving things the way she, a twelve-year-old child, would perceive things. Interesting. So it's it's really interesting. Really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this book is for 14 plus. This is like, I, a- like, well, I think it's because, like I said, it's written from a young child's perspective. It's definitely a lot darker than I ever thought it might be. Okay. So interesting. But yeah, that's it. That's the golden so, compass. People. That was the golden compass. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> well, um, actually, while you were talking about your book, found quite a few similarities with mine. So the book that I chose was Sharp Objects um, that was uh, made into an HBO series in 2018. Amy Adams, right? Amy Adams. First of all, let me just say. Don't tell her. Don't effervescent, right? No. <laughs> I didn't realize that Amy Adams like had could have such a low voice. Because I've only really ever seen her in like those, you know, the rom-coms and Enchanted. And she's always had like a super high, like feminine voice. And in this show, she really takes on the uh, protagonist persona of Camille Preaker, who's from, you know, a small town in Missouri. Okay. Um, and it's interesting to see like her her change, like knowing who she is in other movies and then seeing her in the show and you're just like, wow, she has quite a range. Yeah, I've seen a few, I saw a few episodes. It was, her character definitely was very dark. Yes. Yeah. Um, this book is very dark. Okay, tell so, me. So um, this book was published in 2006 by Gillian Flynn. 
Um, she also wrote um, Dark Objects. Or no, Dark Places, not Dark Objects. Dark Places, which was a very good book as well. And it's, I'm going to read a brief synopsis. It's about two girls that go missing, one of whom is found dead and presumed murdered. As Camille, or as she searches for clues, Camille reunites with her estranged family because this happens in her hometown. Her overbearing mother, Adora, stepfather, Alan Krellen, and half-sister, Emma. This rekindles traumatic childhood memories, including the death of her younger sister, Marion, and she is piecing together a psychological puzzle from her past and begins to identify with the young victims a bit too closely. Uh Uh-oh. So she, Camille Preaker is a reporter at the Daily Post in Chicago. Okay. Um, I'm going to compare it a little bit as I talk about it with the show because I did watch the entirety of the show. There's only like eight or nine episodes. Yeah. In In the show, they say that she's in St. Louis. But they in the book, they say Chicago because she tried to get as far away as possible. Yeah. Camille's boss sends her to Wind Gap, Missouri, which is her hometown, to investigate the mystery, I guess, of the second missing girl. Because there's always there's already been one girl that was found. She was found strangled with a clothesline oh, God. cord and left in a river and all of her teeth have been pulled out. That's dark. Boy. (laughs) Boy. And that was like less than a year before a second little girl went missing and they hadn't found her for like a few days. Camille is very reluctant reluctant to come back because her little sister, Marion, had died. She was very sickly when she was younger and you'll find out why. Camille is a alcoholic. She is very heavy drinking. She is. I would be She had been in rehab because of um, she was a cutter. So the biggest part of this whole book is that Camille used to cut words into her skin. Okay. So especially in the show, there's different glimpses where there's like different like storefront signs or like you'll see it on a road sign where it's like a specific word. And that's because that's how Camille like views the world is in words. Um, And she has a whole bunch of them scarred all over her body. So she's always wearing layers on layers and she's wearing long sleeves and jeans because she doesn't want to show any of that. Well, does she, does she still does it though? No. So she was in rehab and she eventually kind of got over it. She talks in the book. It talks about her struggle with like, she gets really triggered going back home and being around her mother who's super toxic And, you know, like having that itching feeling of wanting to do that again. Yeah. But she tries to overcome it. Camille tries to go to the police when she first arrives in town to talk to like the sheriff and everybody to kind of figure out really what the hell is going on because no one had talked about it. No, there were had been no media or reporters that had gone to the to the town before she did. So there was really no information other than that another little girl was missing And she had learned about Ann Nash, who was the first little girl that was strangled and left in a creek. Did she know about, she knew about that one though, right? Yes. And then Natalie Keene is the second little girl that is missing. Oh, okay. So the little girl, Natalie Keene is 10 and she's trying to get some information on her. She goes and tries to like go with them to the 
group searches like you know when yeah. there's like little people when there's people missing they go on like massive searches little people yeah little people, you know what i mean um she tries to <laughs> they can really get under the brush yeah she can really get under the brush and under the rocks and stuff um so she tries to go and like look for her she ends up you know going home for the night and uh has to go to her mother's house which she dreads more than anything else because her mother is adora krellin she is wind gap royalty what makes her royalty so wind gap is ta-ta my darling ta-ta wind gap is known for hog butchering okay it's like their main business in the town adora krellin is the heiress to the hog farm which produces two percent of the county's pork of the country's pork and she has a child with her new husband her second husband the little girl's name is Emma, and she's 13. Okay. She's kind of a bitch. You can't yeah. call her a little girl and a bitch in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. Well, she kind of is because she, so she's really two-faced. So like Camille first encounters her like rolling around, walking around town with her friends or whatever. And she's being really like standoffish and like a popular girl. Yeah. But Camille Chrissy. does, but yeah, but. Camille doesn't know that it's her at first because she hadn't seen Emma since she was like a baby. Yeah. Uh, Because Camille never talks to her family. So when she goes to the house for the first time to like see her mom and stay there while she's hanging out in town, Emma pops up and she's like looking very conservative because her mother is very Southern. Yes. Very Southern Belle. Like she's one of those people that... Things that the house is always a mess, but it's really not. And, you know, everything has to be absolute perfection. Emma's her sweet little girl that doesn't do anything that she's not supposed to. Bailey raise her puppy. Bailey raise her puppy, you know. Um, And so Camille falls asleep at home with her family. Wakes up the next morning and goes down to the police station and finds Natalie Keene's body. She finds the body. Yes. It's propped up in the middle of the street on Main Street, and all of her teeth have been pulled out. Oh, God. <sighs> it's rough. Sounds rough. So, Camille is sounds, obviously... <laughs> sounds gummy. Well, <laughs> so Camille is obviously very shaken by this, because she's just found a little girl dead. In a very horrific scene. Yeah. So she just really struggles. She goes like on a drinking bender. Natalie's funeral takes place. And Camille finds her half-sister sitting on their family porch after the funeral. And she's playing with a dollhouse. And the dollhouse plays a big role in this. It's a four-foot dollhouse and it's an exact replica of... Their stately manor. Yes, of the Victorian house, of the Victorian mansion. Even though they describe her as, even though she's 13 years old with the blossoming body of a young woman, Emma is dressed like a young child. Camille realizes that she, realizes then that she had seen Emma throughout town this whole time. And she was dressed like very scantily, like with tank tops and stuff, even though at home she would never be allowed to do that. She wears bows in her hair. Wait, so when she was introduced to her, she she didn't didn't realize realize that that was the same girl? Yeah, she didn't realize 
Okay, but I'm pretty sure I saw in this show because I again I, I watched so a few the, sh- episodes the show. The show is much different. Okay. They obviously we're talking about the book. To, I know. Yeah, but they tried to shorten the show. I think to make it to make it a little bit more digestible. In the book, she really doesn't realize she. It takes a while for her to realize this stuff because she's there for like several weeks. Yeah. Emma remarks about how. When she's home, she's Adora's doll. And then when she's with her friends, she's other things. Camille then starts to get way more involved with the police now that she's um, a, a, she was a witness, technically, because she found the body of Natalie Keene yeah. in the street. Um, she meets Richard Willis. Dick Willis, as the show calls him, uh, in Kans- from Kansas City because he's a detective. And he has been sent from Kansas City to uh, help investigate the murders because the state believed that uh, Chief Vickery, the chief of police in Wind Gap, just really didn't have the knowledge or resources to solve this crime. Probably not. These crimes. Camille goes back home after she meets Richard and gets really bad because she starts to take her clothes off and you start to really see all the words. So they don't really mention that she's a cutter until this point. So she like takes off all of her clothes because she's really into taking baths rather than showers. Okay. She sees, catches a glimpse of all the words that she's cut into her body and she just like feels itchy. That's such, that, that way of explaining it, feeling itchy. Like she's not comfortable in her own skin. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like she doesn't feel comfortable in her own skin. And so she feels like mutilation is her best option. Camille runs into Richard over and over again. They do have a tryst. Tryst. Because he's uh, the lead detective and kind of he's a heartthrob. Oh, yeah. Everybody's all in love with him around town. But she got him. She got him. Camille starts to go around town and like not really questioning, just kind of talking to the Keene family, the Nash family to kind of get a sense of like what the girls were like and Nash and Natalie Keene. So yeah. she can write her piece because she's still a reporter and she learns that Ann Nash and Natalie Keene were friends of Emma and that they were both in the book. They described them both as being kind of tomboyish and boring. Okay. So they're not like regular girls. Like Natalie Keene collects spiders and bugs and shit. And like Ann Nash is really into sports. And that they were both very headstrong. And that, and she kind of just learns a whole bunch of other stuff about them. And Camille starts getting in trouble, kind of. Like Chief Vickery starts like suspecting her of things like they never talk about what he thinks because this is all from Camille's perspective but he starts following her around town like he's tailing her because he just doesn't want the media in town Camille has started hanging out with Emma a little bit more Emma decides to uh let Camille hang out with her one night Emma's a drug addict or not really an addict she's a drug user so she like gives Camille oxy and is like getting her to drink with her. All the while, Emma's 13. Jesus. And she's taking Oxy. Sounds like a good time. It wasn't. Sorry. <laughs> um, I was a sheltered little kid until I was 18 years me old. Too. So. And Camille talks about, you know, taking Oxy and ecstasy with Emma. And Camille takes Emma home. And this is 
where like a lot of the shit begins. So Camille passes out and Anna passes out in her room. Camille passes out in her bedroom. Camille wakes up and Adora starts trying to give her medicine. In a haze, Camille heads down to Emma's room and Emma is sitting naked on the floor in front of her doll dollhouse, confirming to Camille that Adora had also given her a blue pill. It's like the Matrix. Take the blue pill no. and... <laughs> Sorry, I'm tired. Camille Camille <laughs> is very confused. Okay. And starts really wondering if Adora has Munchausen's by proxy. And Richard had also investigated this as well and had given her like a file folder of all the shit that was going on with Marion behind the scenes in the hospital, like her medical records and stuff. With who? Richard was talking to Camille about this. Marion? Marion is Camille's sister. Her younger oh, sister. Oh, right, right, the right. The one that died. Like the one that died. Okay. So Camille's like, what the fuck, fam? And starts going through the file. This was before she had taken the blue pill and found out that her friend, her mom's friend, Jackie, who Camille was really close with, had requested a whole bunch of records. To and like, this is the one played by Elizabeth Perkins in the yes. show. I love yes. Elizabeth Perkins. She's great. Yes. Um, so Camille is like, what the fuck? What's going on? Adora just gave me a blue pill. I don't understand what's going on. She goes and talks to Jackie and Jackie's like, yeah, so your mom's fucking crazy. Has Munchausen's by proxy. She essentially poisoned Marion to death and is now doing the same thing to Emma because Emma has also been in and out of the hospital multiple times. Jesus. So Camille is terrified of going back home because she's like, oh my God, my mom's trying to kill me. And Camille is terrified of going home and starts to drive to a bar because she's trying to like process all the shit that's going on. She finds a very drunk John Keane, who is Natalie Keane's brother okay. and is the main suspect in the whole investigation. They think that he killed Ann Nash and Natalie Keane. Okay. And John is just real fucked. He's real distraught and he's just like I don't know what really the hell is going on. He and Camille start to like bond over the fact that they've both lost a sister, a younger sister. So they have sex. He's 18, she's like in her 30s. Uh okay. Yup. Um You know, they're both consenting adults. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's drunk and <laughs> the fact that he's drunk and processing a lot of grief yeah. and stuff that's the fucked up part of that i don't think yeah. the age is as much of a fucked up path yeah i understand that there's a huge gap though um huge, the huge. biggest thing about this encounter is that john is the first man in 14 years to see camille's naked body oh because this whole time she well, never richard they had a tryst her and richard but she left all of her clothes on just unzip the fly and pretty stick much it in. pretty much okay Cool. In the process, or not in the process, while they're like doing stuff, doing stuff. Richard and Chief Vickery have filed a arrest warrant with a judge and have officially found that John Keene is guilty of the murder. Or they think he's guilty, so they're going to go arrest him. Okay. Because they found some blood some of Natalie's blood on his carpet in the house that he was staying in. So they go and uh, lo and behold, he's in bed with uh, Camille when they come and arrest him at the motel that they're staying at. Jesus. And guess who busts through the door first? Well, Richard. Richard. Of course. And so Richard gets mad because he's like, what the fuck, Camille? I thought we were having like a relationship. I thought we were like getting close. Now you was mine. I thought you was mine. So she's freaking out. And... Uh, 
Of course, Richard is like super pissed. So Camille still doesn't want to go home. Okay. So she goes to a friend's house, her high school friend, Katie, who's kind of a bitch because Camille was like the popular girl in school. So when she comes back home, she's like royalty because everyone was like, oh my God, you're Camille Preaker. Like you were so popular. Everyone knows who you are. And Katie talks about how Emma was particularly awful to Anne and Natalie because Katie was working at the school in town. What like what did she work? She was like the an school? aide. Oh, okay. At the at the school, at the high school. Okay. And said that Emma was particularly awful to both Anne and Natalie. You know, I believe it. And so Camille still very confused is finally like, "You know what? I'm just going to go home." She wants to believe that her mother isn't a murderer and that her mother isn't insane. So she goes home and Adora offers her offers her a large glass of bluish milk. Bluish milk. Bluish milk. And Camille's like, I'm going to drink this. I ain't crazy. 20 minutes later, Camille begins vomiting profusely. Jesus. She rushes to the nearest hospital where she demands to see all of Marion's files um, on her way back. So she goes to the hospital and is like, holy shit, Richard was right. All the shit was true. Adora's a fucking murderer. So she calls her BFF five ever, Frank Curry, her her boss that had sent her to Wind Gap. They're very close. Yeah. Um, calls him and is like, yo, I think my mom's the murderer. And he's like, bruh, don't go to her house. Stay where you are. I'm coming. Call the police. Well, don't go back. Okay. Let me stop you. Am I confusing you? No, not at all. Because I, like I said, I've I've watched like four episodes. Mm-hmm. And at one point in the show, now I don't know if this was in the book, but Richard is trying to pull teeth out of a hog's head. Yeah, that was in the show. Did that happen in the book? Well, you no. won't, you may not know because it's just from Camille's it's from, perspective. It's just from Camille's perspective. Richard did that in the show to like find out whether or not like how much force, force. you would need to pull teeth out of a head. That's what I was trying to Yeah. That's where I was going with that. So she's thinking that her mother's the the killer, but Yes, but Camille hasn't thought about like the teeth part. Okay. I mean, unless they just fell out because they were sick. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um Camille finds Richard and says Yo, I know that you thought it was my mom all along. Because the whole time, Richard was telling Vickery behind the scenes, like, I don't think it's John. Like, he really doesn't have a motive. Why the fuck would he do this? He keeps thinking that it's Adora. And Vickery, it's been alluded throughout the book that Chief Vickery is a lover of Adora's. They never, like, confirm it. So the whole time he's like, no, it's not Adora. What are you talking about? No, it's John Keene. It's that 18-year-old kid. Wow. Richard is like, well, I'm going to get a search warrant and I'm going to come by your house tomorrow to officially like look through everything and see what's going on. So Camille's like, all right, I'm going to go home. And Adora invites Camille up to her bedroom, which is a room that Camille had never been into because it was like absolutely forbidden that she go into her bedroom because she has a beautiful ivory floor. Oh my God. That was like part of the old house and like made out of elephant tusks and shit. Uh, Adora invites Camille in for a drink into her bed and fixes her drink. 
and apologizes for never loving her. And Camille swallows a drink. She wakes up feeling fevered and weak and covered in her own sweat and urine. Adora helps Camille into the bathtub and feeds her more pills and blue milk. Camille starts to fall asleep in the tub and she's awoken by screams just as Richard bursts through the door. They start searching through the house and Richard tells Camille that police had found an exhaustive array of industrial grade laxative, laxatives, emetics, illegal antibiotics, and horse tranquil- tranquilizers in Adora's room. Jesus. Specifically in the bluish milk, which is what she was feeding her children. God damn. And every single medication was found in Camille's toxicology test. Police also uncovered a diary in which Adora details her quote unquote treatments of Marion and admits to killing her when she couldn't stop making her ill because she is Munchausen's by proxy. Which for those who don't know, I just realized that I should probably explain. For those who don't know what Munchausen's by proxy is, so Munchausen's is when you're a hypochondriac kind of. It's like a fancy way of saying hypochondriac, like you think you're sick all the time. Munchausen's by proxy is typically when the parent it's when a parent it's typically a parent that's a caregiver a parent or caregiver that starts to make somebody else that they love sick in order to take care of them yep like gypsy rose like exactly like gypsy rose yeah the police also find a pair of pliers in adora's room with trace amounts of blood which after blood tests found that there was blood from Anna and Natalie. On the pliers? On the pliers found in Adora's room. So Adora did pry out their teeth. Wait, child. Wait, child. I ain't no child. Adora is arrested for the murders and Camille takes custody of Emma because Emma also was going through the same exact ordeal that Camille was. Yeah. And brings Emma back to Chicago to live with her. They then go through talking about how Emma is an exhausting charge. She's nervous, needy, and obsessed with female killers. She rejects any therapy that Camille offers to her and demands that Camille buy her expensive furnishings for her dollhouse. After some time, Emma finally makes a friend, Lily, who comes over pretty often because they like live in the same building. One night... Camille wakes up to find Emma standing over her feverish and sweating, accusing her of liking Lily better. Emma then asks for Camille to care for her like Adora did. When Cam- when Camille says they won't do things Adora- Adora's way, Emma sobs. Okay. Because there was like a lot of that, like the reason why she was getting fucked up on, on pills, like on drugs, was because she liked that her mother was taking care of her. A few months later... Lily disappears on her way home from school and is found dead a few bo- a few blocks from Camille's apartment with six teeth missing. Oh, Camille, are you fucking kidding me? Camille finds the teeth in Emma's dollhouse Jesus and realizes that Emma was using the teeth pulled from her victim's mouths to create the ivory floor of Adora's bedroom. The investigation in Wingap is reopened and police find that Emma, along with three of her friends, killed Anne and Natalie. Adora is tried and convicted for the murder of Marion, while Emma is incarcerated in a juvenile detention facility. Camille visits her once, and during her conversation, Emma admits that when Anne bit Adora on the wrist, Adora was, like, really involved in the community. Yeah. Emma became indignant about the ways that she had tactically agreed to suffer in exchange for Adora's love. 
Camille relapses, scarring the unblemished circle of flesh on her back. So when she was cutting herself, she left like a circle of flesh on her back. Why? Because it was like a place that she couldn't reach. And she wanted to leave like one place on her body that was untouched besides like her face. Okay. So she starts cutting in the only place that she had left and decides to move in with Curry, with Frank Curry, her boss and his wife, Eileen who care for her and parent her for the first time in her life. Camille finds herself worrying often about the night she cared for sickly Emma. She enjoyed taking care of her younger sister and wondered whether she had inherited Adora's sickness or whether she is, in spite of the horrors she suffered, a kind person after all. Wow. Is that the end? That's the end. That's all of it. I didn't see that fucking twist with Emma. Like, you really don't because, like, you no, no, you no. think of Emma as a victim the whole time. Oh. Because the whole time, like, they're talking about how she's kind of, like, holed up in the house and Adora doesn't really let her do anything. And then at the end, you're like, the fuck? Emma did this this whole time and she's just psychotic? Well, who were the two friends that helped her, though? They were, like, her two other little popular friends. They never really talked about them. I think they mentioned their names like once or twice. So it's like the um, the Slenderman thing, right? Uh, Where the girls take the other girl into the woods and like stab her 52 times or however many times. That actually happened. I know. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's more of like Emma kept saying to Camille, like, my friends would do anything for me because she was hot shit. So she was like, if I ask my friends to do something, they'd do it. I get whatever I want. Wow. So she was very manipulative, very charismatic, and she got her two friends to help her kill two little girls and rip out their teeth for a fucking dollhouse. Jesus Christ. Yep. Well, it was a very- good on Good on Camille for getting the fuck out of there, but I'm sure yeah. she has, I mean, she has literal scars from it. Camille, I felt really bad for, obviously, because not only is she the protagonist, but like also she's had to survive like a toxic mother-child relationship. She's having to suffer through the death of her younger sister, kind of the captivity of her stepsister, of her half-sister. Yeah. She's dealing with her own personal demons of, like, never being fully accepted by her mother and all this stuff. Yeah. So, it's a lot. It is a lot. It's dark. And then, I think Adora's played by Kate Blanchett in the in the show. No, it's not Kate Blanchett. What's her name? God, it's on the tip of my tongue because she's an easy A. Patricia Clarkson. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, Amy Adams played it really well. Jillian Flynn is an amazing author. She did Gone Girl. She's, she did Gone Girl. She did yeah. Dark Places. Dark Places was also made into a movie. The movie wasn't very good. It had Charlize Theron in it. Oh my God. Can Wesley not shut them up? I don't know. We're almost done anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're interested in reading this book, it's truly amazing. It's very twisty, and it's all from Camille's perspective, and she's a writer, so you kind of see, like, the whole progression. And well, she, what's what's up with us picking dark books again? I don't like, know. We Maybe did, we need to do funny ones next we do time. Need a, we need a funny one next time. We need a funny one that, that isn't going to 
kill us both. <laughs> yeah, because Handmaid's Tale, and then we both. I mean, the Golden Compass is a great family-friendly adventure. <laughs> so <laughs> where like a bear fights another bear and like rips its jaw off or whatever. Yeah, and parents don't give a shit about their kids. Yeah, that was something we had in common. Yeah, we both had books that. about parents that were. Wow, terrible. that should have been our theme should've, instead of. Damn it! Instead, instead of, of HBO. HBO. Well, that's all I have. So that's all I have. Um, so next episode, we will actually be doing. We actually will be doing a more lighthearted episode. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, we are doing opposite sex self help. So get ready to hear about how to pick up some uh, girls from my perspective and some boys from Kobe's perspective. I'm all yep. about picking up them girls. I hope I don't die inside. Bouncy, bouncy. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you can find us on uh, Instagram at BoafCast. That's B-O-A-F-C-A-S-T. And also on Twitter at BoafCast. And you can like and subscribe to our page on Facebook. It's Booked on a Feeling. And if for some reason you like us enough to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash BoafCast. And uh, if you consider donating... That would be fantastic. Um, you can also hit us up on our website at bookedonafeeling.com for all of our social media links and for our Patreon link as well. Yep. We have some awesome stuff on Patreon coming up. We have private book club. We're going to be discussing themes in the books that we are covering in the episodes. And we're also going to be doing a few other things. So definitely any any help is, is much appreciated. And, of course, you can always email us at bookedonafeeling at gmail.com to give us any book suggestions or any ideas for any themes that we could do. Or you can just say hi because yeah, I don't have friends. Yeah, love to hear from you. Yeah. Except for Corey and my cats. I, I wouldn't consider you my friend. So Corey's now my friend. Cool. But um, the, the cats are. They're dying to get in here. I know. So we should probably oh wrap God. this up. So, But thank you so much for listening. Yes, we appreciate it. Until next time, everybody. <gasps> Bye. Bye.